Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come before you on this Father's Day, and we thank you, and we praise you that you are a good Father to us, that you have promised us so much in your word. You have promised us, Heavenly Father, uh, not only that we would know you, but also that, that we would know that you sent your one and only Son into this world to take away our sins and to give us eternal life. Heavenly Father, we thank you for that. And Lord, uh, on this Father's Day, it, it is difficult for so many people, as uh, so many are here who uh, miss their father uh, for whatever reason. Sometimes Father's Day is difficult for many. So I pray, Heavenly Father, that we'd, we would all see you uh, today as a good father. And Heavenly Father, I also pray that uh, we would be a people who you would create within our hearts a desire to honor our dads, uh, to truly understand uh, the sacrifice and the dedication that our fathers have made to us. So Lord, today, we ask that you would be among us, that you would teach us, that you would instruct us, and that you would give to us today everything that we need. Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would come and speak to us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I invite you today to stand as we read our gospel lesson. Our gospel lesson comes from John chapter 8, beginning with verse 48, reading in Jesus' name. John 8, the Jews answered him, are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? And the prophets died. Why do you make yourself out? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. This is the gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. This is Trinity Sunday. This is the Sunday in which we focus upon uh, the reality of who God is. It's an opportunity for us to focus on the nature of God. So today we're going to talk a little bit of theology what is theology? Well, theology is, literally, it means the study of God. It is the study of God. So when somebody begins to talk about theology, they're talking about 
uh, the nature of God. Did you know that everyone's a theologian? Everyone is a theologian. They might not be a good theologian, but everyone is a theologian. Did you know that even atheists are theologians? They have an idea about God. They have a belief about God formed in their minds. Just like you have a, an idea of, of who God is and what God is formed in your mind, so too atheists do. What is their theology? What is the atheist theology? Well, the atheists believe that there is no God. There is no God. And that belief then informs everything about their life. Everything about their life uh, is formed from that foundation that there is no God. And the same is true of you and I. We believe there is a God. And we believe that, that this God is personal and that we can know him. And that really forms the foundation for our lives. And that's the basis upon which we build our lives is this theology or this idea of who God is. So everyone is a theologian. Everyone has an opinion about God. Everyone has something formed in their mind about God. But the real question is this, is their theology true or is it false? That's the real question. Everyone has a theology, but is their theology true or false? Now, during the summer, we're going to have this emphasis, or we have this emphasis on prayer, being a praying church. Even our services are emphasizing prayer more throughout the summer months. And if we are going to pray, if we're going to grow as a praying church, we need to know who we are praying to. Who is this God that we pray to? So who is God? What is he like? Is he a personal God or is he an impersonal force or energy or being? Does he know that we're here or is he, is he unaware that we're here? If he is aware of us, is he near us? Does he care about us or is he distant and cold? Is he harsh and angry with us? Or is he gentle, kind, and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love? Does he hear us when we pray? Does he hear us? Does he care about us? Does he care about our actions? Does he care about our beliefs? Does he care about what we face in life? You see, without a clear understanding of God, we can never gain a true sense of meaning in life. Did you know that your belief about God is the foundation of the meaning for life? Did you know that, that your belief in God is, is the foundation for your view of the value of humanity and of human life? And that your belief in God is the foundation for your security if you want to have true meaning and value or understand the value of human life and of your life, and if you want to have security in life, it is all based upon this foundation of God and of who God is. So how does a person come 
to know God or to know that there is a God. First, we know of God through creation. Through creation. This is the general means through which people know of the existence of God or of a God. But here's the catch. You can know there's a God through creation, but you can't know the one true God personally through creation. You can know that a a God exists, but you cannot know him. And you can't know what he has done for you and his son Jesus Christ through creation. Creation reveals some things about God, but creation doesn't reveal who God is and how we can enter into a relationship with him. So can we really know who God is? Can we know God's name? And can we know that he knows our name? Can we know his name? And can we know that he knows our name? We can. We can. Not only has he revealed himself to us by what has been made, He has revealed himself to us in two special ways, in two very special and significant ways, which reveal much more about God than how he has generally revealed himself in creation. So yes, we can know there is a God through creation, but we can know much more about God through two, through two special means of revelation that he's given to us. First of all, we know God through his word. He has given us his word. Secondly, we know God through not only the written word, but we know God through the living word. We know God through his son, Jesus Christ, the second person of the Holy Trinity. So God has revealed himself to us in the written word and in the word made flesh. The word made flesh. First, the written word, the pages of the Bible. This is no ordinary book. This is God's word to humanity. It is a revelation of himself to you. And as you read the Bible, as Bible history unfolds, you come to understand who God is and what God is like. And through the Bible, you come to know and trust what God has commanded and what God has forbidden and through the pages of the scripture, you come to, under, to know and to trust what God has promised. That his book, that his word is full of beautiful promises for you. So God's word in 2 Timothy 3.15, we learn that all scripture is breathed out by God. That this is breathed out by God and it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. You want to know what God's like? Open the Bible. Read the Bible. There God has revealed himself to us. Not only is your trust in God and what he has said strengthened through his word, we also come to know God's name. Did you know that God has revealed his name? He's told us what his name is. Exodus chapter 3, if you have your Bibles today, I invite you to turn to Exodus chapter 3. There God has revealed his divine name 
to us. Now, in Exodus chapter 3, you're, you might be familiar with this account. Moses is at the place where he had to take his shoes off. He's appearing before God at the burning bush. So God revealed himself to Moses in the form of this burning bush. And God, speaking to Moses, said that he is sending Moses to the Israelites to let into Egypt to let the Israelites go from the bondage of slavery to Pharaoh in Egypt. But Moses has some questions for God. God says, if I, if I come to the people, this is Genesis 3.13, Genesis 3.13, then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? So God, if they, they ask me what your name is, what should I say? Well, God gives his name to Moses. What shall I say to them? God said to Moses this, I am who I am. And he said this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. I am who I am. I am the Lord. You'll notice in your Bible, in the Old Testament, that oftentimes when you come across the word Lord, it's in all uppercase characters. Lord spelled in all uppercase. In the Hebrew text, that is God's name. And in the Hebrew text, we see that God's name is Yahweh. We actually really don't know how to pronounce it. But as close as scholars have come is the term Yahweh. So whenever you see Lord in all capital letters in your Old Testament, that is God's divine name, Yahweh. But here's the thing, the third person form of I am, or I am who I am, Yah, uh, uh, the third person form of Yahweh is I am who I am or I am. That is the third person form of Yahweh. So when he says I am, he is using the third person form of Yahweh. Now turn in your Bibles to John 8, 58 through 59. John 8, 58 through 59. So if I am is the third person form of Yahweh, the divine name of God, what does Jesus reveal about himself in John 8, 58? John 8, 58, Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, what does Jesus say? I am. I am. What was the response of the Jews that day? They picked up stones to throw at him. They tried to kill Jesus. 
Why did they attempt to kill Jesus? Because he was claiming to be Yahweh. He is claiming to be God. So they picked up stones to kill him. Because to claim to be God is blasphemy. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Jesus is God. Not only has God revealed himself in the written word, not only has he revealed his name to us, Yahweh, the Lord, God has revealed himself to us in Jesus, the word made flesh. I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe that he is the only begotten son of God, begotten of his father before all worlds. God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father by whom all things were made, and for us and for our salvation, for you and for your salvation, came down from heaven. Jesus, true God, in human flesh, the Word made flesh. God revealed. God revealed to us in the pages of the Bible and God revealed to us in Jesus. So when you study the life of Jesus, when you open your Bible, and when you read about Jesus and when you read about what he did and what he said, that is God acting and that is God speaking. When Jesus reached out, and touched the leper to heal him. That is God reaching out to heal. When Jesus fed the multitudes, that is God feeding the multitudes. When Jesus spoke into the tomb of Lazarus, saying, Lazarus, come forth, that is God. You want to know who God is? Look to Jesus. In Jesus we have God made flesh. God dwelling among us. And when Jesus went to the cross, there the second person of the Holy Trinity suffered and died. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus revealed to us this reality of, of him being God, not only in John 8, but in John 7. If you go back to John 7, beginning with verse 14, Jesus said this, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then he says, if you had known me, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. You see, the, this disciple, Philip, wanted to see the Father. Do you want to see God? Do you want to be in his presence? Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that is enough for us. Jesus said to him, I have been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip. He says this, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. 
Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Jesus says, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. The only way a person can live in a right relationship with God is through trusting in Jesus Christ. To believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. To trust his promise that is given to us in Jesus Christ. By the written word and through the living word, you can be in a right relationship with God. So, how is your relationship with the Lord today? How do you have it with the Lord? What's your relationship with him like? You might be asking, does God want to know me? Does he want to know me? Tell this father, there was a boy who lived in a home with a very angry father. Life for this boy was filled with fear and shame. Meal times were terrible. He hated dinner. The family would sit in silence, or they would be sarcastically noisy. Encouraging words were never spoken. When the boy was about 10, he began to excuse himself from the table as soon as he could without being yelled at. He walked down the dirt road that his house was on. And he'd walk down to an old farmhouse where the neighbors lived. And if the boy arrived at that old farmhouse while that family was having dinner, he would crawl under the porch. And he would sit there in the dust. And he would just listen. He would listen. He listened to the sounds of laughter and the sounds of love coming from the dining room table wishing that he could be at that table. Now I ask this question. What if that family invited him in? What if that family knew his name, knew that he was sitting under that table or under that porch, sitting in the dust? Do you suppose that the good father would invite him in to sit at the table? And what do you suppose the good father would have done if the boy had accidentally spilled his milk? Do you suppose the good father would have roared with delight, get him more milk and bring him a piece of pie too? What is God like? Who is God? Well, he sees you. He sees you. He knows your name. He sees you sitting in the dust under the porch. He sees you right where you're at. He knows that your heart is broken. He knows that you need a family. And he sent his son. He sent his only begotten son 
to pull you out of the dust, out of the dark, out of that dark, sweaty heat, to sit at the table, to sit at the table with him, to give you the forgiveness of your sins and eternal life. I've encountered two types of people in life. Those like the angry Jews in John 8 who wanted to kill Jesus, they're antagonistic towards God. They don't want God. If they truly wanted God, they would trust in Christ. These are those who believe that the seat and the dust under the porch is enough. They refuse the invitation to come and to sit at the table. Too stubborn to see their condition for what it is and, to, and too proud to receive the invitation of the Father. So I've encountered those people, given opportunity to receive the gospel, they will not receive it. But I have encountered other people, others who sit in the dust under the porch because they believe the Father would never receive them at the table. They believe their sins are too great. They believe they could never be forgiven, that they could never be loved. Those who refuse the invitation, the first are like the Jews from our gospel lesson. They are the arrogant. The second are the dejected. You rarely see either in church. The first are too proud to enter into church. They trust in themselves, so they do not believe. The second have convinced themselves that they would never be welcome at the table that they would never be welcomed in because of their sin. The first will not be saved. They are the arrogant whose place is reserved in the lake of fire. And they won't be saved unless they humble themselves and repent before the almighty hand of God. The second would come. They would come if they only heard how great the love of the Father really is. And there are so many who would come and even join us at our table if they only heard that they too are invited, that they are invited by a gracious heavenly Father to come, to sit, and to receive. And Jesus encountered these two types of people throughout his ministry. As he encountered them, he revealed God to them. To one, he revealed himself as judge. To the other, he revealed himself as a loving savior who calls the humble from the dust to sit at the table and to be blessed by God. Who are you? Who are you? Are you like the angry rejecting Jews who refuse to believe. You will not humble yourself to get out of the dust and to sit at the table. Or are you like the humble, longing to be with God, longing to sit at the table, to receive grace and mercy from your heavenly Father? The call of the gospel is this, believe in Jesus, 
Believe in the Word made flesh. Trust in Him. Trust in Him. Believe that you have a place. You have a place with Him. You have a place at the baptismal font where the promise of the gospel is poured upon you. You have a place at the table where you receive the body and the blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ for the assurance of the forgiveness of your sins and of everlasting life. The call of the gospel is this, do not harden your hearts, but believe and trust and know who God is, that he loves you, that he invites you, and that he has sent his one and only son for you. Amen. Let us pray together. Lord Jesus, today we come before you. We come before you with humble hearts, thanking you and praising you for the gift that you have revealed to us in Jesus Christ. Lord, there may be some sitting here today who did not grow up with a good father. There may be those among us who have lost sight of what fatherhood means, but Lord, I pray that you would restore all of us as sinners to understand who you are, God, to understand that you're a good father who sent your one and only son, Jesus Christ, the second person of the Holy Trinity and the power of the Holy Spirit as our Savior. And I pray for those who are here today. Penetrate hearts, penetrate minds, to believe and to trust in your promises today. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.